let's just talk a little bit about what is important in a in a in a work relationship as opposed to a, a love love relationship. And you know, people started saying words respect, you know, openness, this and that. We just came up with just a long list of adjectives to describe what a professional work relationship should look like. And Mike looked at the group up with this long list and said, what on this list does not exist in a love relationship? If you want a healthy, rich, collaborative culture, you have to have love in that those relationships. You're listening to WorkWise, the growth mindset for wisdom at work. I'm Ken Kennard, creativity coach and chief creative officer at Accent Interactive. Joining me is Michael Boys of Credo Consulting. In this episode, we're joined by Jeff Page, Vice President of Operations at Precise Software Solutions, to discuss organizational health. During a time when many organizations are struggling to connect with employees working remotely, Jeff has learned how to stay connected with employees and keep communication flowing throughout the organization. Since COVID, he's dealt with how to maintain a work culture of respect and offers some leadership lessons he's learned along the way. So Mike, it's been uh, great to talk to you recently about the health of organizations, like how healthy is a group of people. Um, and I've been thinking about health a lot because of this pandemic that we're a part of. And I had this observation that the people who are healthiest do the best when the disease comes because they have more resources, right, to respond. They're more resilient. And the people that are older and weaker and already compromised are the ones really in trouble. And I was thinking, you know, I wonder if that applies to organizations as well. Observation, Ken. I think that, yeah, it, 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 goes, it goes that way as well. And I think that our guest today is a person who pays a lot of attention to the health of his organization um, uh, always. And I had some conversations with him recently wherein he told me about, he started to tell me about the things he was doing to nurture the culture and keep it healthy in his company. And I said, ho, ho, wait, wait, don't go any further because I want to get this on a podcast. <laughs> so wow. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here we are. And so why don't why don't I introduce you to our guest who so well, far yeah, we have- you got me You got me so curious now, Mike, who is this keeper of healthy culture that you speak of? Are you ready? Our great guest today is Jeff Page, and I am really looking forward to this conversation. Um, Jeff is currently the Vice President of Operations at Precise Software Solutions, or Precise for short, uh, and they're located uh, in or near Bethesda, Maryland. Jeff and I go back, I think it's maybe five or six years, I'm not, I'm not quite sure, I'm not good with the dates, um, but it's really an interesting story. Uh, Jeff wasn't where he is today when we met. And I'd love for folks just to hear the story, Jeff, because I think I think it's fun. We can tell the story together. Um, why don't you start off with um, how we met and we'll go from there. Great. Well, um, thanks for inviting me to be with you. It's fun to, to chat with you both. It's uh, It has been about five years. I'm not good with time either, so I'm not sure. But I know that it was in a previous position. I was at the time working as the Chief Operating Officer at a federal government agency, the Corporation for National and Community Service. And I, I went with their support, went to the um, Federal Executive Leadership Institute um, in, um, help me out, Mike. Charlottesville. Charlottesville, yes. Right, and so fantastic training, month-long training in, in leadership and um, a lot of fantastic trainers and um, 
one of the trainer facilitators was uh, Michael Boyce. And, um, and the, the part of the story that, that I love, and actually I, I have kept, Mike knows this, I, uh, I wrote a blog for nine years that I'm in the process of converting into a book, but I wrote about this um, connection uh, in one of my blog posts. Uh, the title is, uh, What's Love Got to Do With It? And uh, what I love about this is Mike was um, doing this presentation and facilitating a conversation on conflict resolution. And um, he asked the group a question and we were broken. We were like 60 people in the room and the people were broken up into small, small subgroups to talk about what was important in a work relationship. I can't remember exactly what the question is, but our group said something about love. And uh, one of the other groups, there was a guy in another group went, love, are you, are you serious? Where, you know, this is a like federal government yeah, uh, yeah. professional situation. And what, what I loved about it is Mike stopped right there and he flipped over the, completely stopped his presentation and shifted gears and got a, a flip chart paper and said, um, let's just talk a little bit about, um, you know, what is important in a relationship and just ask people in a, in a work relationship as opposed to a, a love, love relationship. And, you know, people started saying words and he was writing them down as respect, you know, openness, and this and that. It just came up with just a long list of adjectives to describe what a professional work relationship should look like. And, uh, you could just feel the the pregnant pause coming up, and Mike looked at the group up with this long list and said, "What on this list does not um, exist in a love relationship?" And there was this silence, and people went, "Oh!" And it was perfect. You couldn't have designed it um, yeah. better because basically it was saying, "If you want a healthy, rich, uh, um, collaborative culture, you have to have." love in that yeah. those relationships yeah. as much as you do in a, yeah. in a and it, relationship yeah, that, with your and that was that was a beautiful moment in time and that i've had um similar moments like that a few times the same kind of kind of thing and it is it's it's kind of uh it's, it's it's a provocative question about love of work of course um and uh and it's very insightful for people and so what's interesting about that is i was actually down there and, and the, the course i was teaching was um uh communicating with integrity and it was all, you know, and, that, and we, we integrity and, and what, what it takes, how do people judge okay. your integrity, right? But what Jeff didn't know and what I didn't know was that um, it was either shortly before or shortly afterwards, I was working within Jeff's organization uh, up in Philadelphia, and I was, oh, that's right. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I was, I was talking with folks up there about how do we build effective relationships and dealing with conflict, and we entered the same conversations about caring for one another and loving one another in the workplace, and um, it, it was a really, from what I've I've heard uh, from the the leaders up there or back then, those conversations really changed the tenor of the relationships and the organization because people started looking at their relationships in a whole different way. And they had some stuff going on. 
Uh, and that just led to more and more work together. And so uh, I was I was pursuing and getting work in Jeff's organization, serving his people. And then at some point, we put two and two together because Jeff and I had talked after uh, the the session at the at the Leaders for a Democratic Society down in Charlottesville, and we we put these two puzzle pieces together and said, "Holy cow!" <laughs> and uh, you know, there, there's a, there's a, actually another interesting uh, nuance to that piece is that I was talking about getting you to to work with our team um, in the in the in the organization of the the, the office that I oversaw, yeah. the office of the chief uh, mm-hmm. chief operating officer. And it's funny because the the director of the center up in Philadelphia, you know, I was I was telling the, the my team I was like I've been working with this guy is great and I think it's going to be uh, really good working with and and um, Joe yeah, so. Lichardello he was he was going yeah well you know I'm working with this guy and we were yeah well you know I'm working with this guy and we were sort of like like he was <laughs> and I was like yeah no I think you know I'm, you know we were we were both trying to convince each other that we wanted to work with this other person, oh not knowing gosh. that we were talking about the same person. Yeah, I didn't know that. And Joe was a character, an old an old, an old police officer, wasn't he? He was an old cop. Yeah, yeah. from an old Philly uh, police officer, the old, yeah. The old, the old, day, old day of policing. So, so Jeff and I have continued this relationship, and Jeff, you have since moved on, and you've, you've made kind of a, a, a big change in your career. Can you tell us about the jump you made from uh, where you were to where you are now? Yeah, so I uh, never in a million years, um, well, I couldn't have predicted any of my career moves. Uh, you know, 30 some odd years ago, I uh, joined the Peace Corps. And if someone told me that 25 years later or 20 years later, I would be, I would serve as chief financial officer at the Library of Congress and then chief operating officer at CNCS and other, various other positions, someone told me then that I uh, was going to end up in the career I had, I would have told them they were nuts. But um, I couldn't have predicted this move, which was um, I had moved, I, I, got, I had worked at CNCS earlier and uh, had moved back and was recruited to work at this in this position as chief operating officer. And then there was administration change and um, the new administration was signaling that they were going to be making some very dramatic um, uh, budget cuts uh, to the agency. And so I uh, worked with, um, and the White House is basically asking us to do some major, you know, do some planning for some major budget cuts. And so I worked with OPM to get a permission to get an early out authority, um, a buyout um, for people to retire early, and went through this whole process and got a broad authority to for our whole agency to um, for eligible people to take an early retirement and after getting this all locked in my my wife and I were driving up to uh, take our daughter to college up in Rochester New York and uh, she turned to me and she said you know you're eligible for this early retirement did you ever think of uh, of doing that she, she goes you have a lot of ideas about other things to do and I, I said no I hadn't she goes well maybe you should <laughs> And by the time we were driving back from Rochester, we had decided that I was going to take it and um, took this early retirement. Actually, talked to Mike about some ideas I had about um, doing some leadership consulting. And uh, before I could make much of a move, a, a mutual friend uh, of my wife's and mine um, 
talked to me about this company that he was very excited about. And he said, I don't know if they're hiring anybody, but but you just need to talk to the CEO at this company because I think you'll really connect with them. And so I set up an informational interview with him um, and uh, for half an hour. And I went out, scheduled some time for this half hour appointment. And about two hours later of chatting and connecting with each other, he said, I need you to work here with me. Um, and so you landed up as the vice president of operations at Precise. Um, and if you could just tell us in two, like one or two sentences, what Precise is doing, um, you know, and the, the business of Precise. So we are a um, small uh, IT federal contractor doing IT consulting. We do business IT modernization and integration, cloud migration, um, a lot of IT consulting, um, just uh, IT strategy consulting with um, federal government agencies. Okay. And, and so how many people do you have there now? We have about 150 people, uh, both employees and contractors, about 105 employees and 45, 50 uh, okay, so, contractors. So it's, it's quite the mix of people. And so so here you are, you're vice president of operations there. Um, and, you know, these are pretty tech-savvy people, obviously, since they're doing software. Um, but the pandemic hits, right? So we're, you're, you're going along. It's about a year ago. And suddenly the pandemic hits and everybody has to work at home. What what was your first reaction when, because this is going to change everything, right? This is going to, this is going to change everything. What were you thinking at first in terms of leading the organization when this happened? Right. So it was really interesting because one of our main um, customers is the FDA and we had been watching very closely and obviously they, they were on the front edge of all this uh, COVID situation. And because we're, we support them, we were, kind of watching what they were, how they were going to react to the situation. And things were moving so quickly. But at one point in um, early March, I don't know exactly the date, they uh, they decided that they were going to go to 100% um, telework. And literally, we uh, I, I walked into the CEO's office and I said, you know, I think we need to do the same thing. We had been talking about this. Um, and what's really interesting is a lot of organizations, I would say ours included to a certain extent, are a little reluctant about telework. You know, there's this theory that, you know, if you're not watching them, they're not doing their work or something. But but there was absolutely no hesitation. We, we, we moved to 100% um, telework just literally with, within a few days. Um, and what was the biggest surprise to us is how smoothly it all went. I mean, it, we just was... A much more seamless than we would have ever yeah. dreamed it would have been. Um, it really went smoothly. So what do you think was, you know, you just kind of said, you know, in people's heads, people are concerned. People are going to work at home. They're going to be lazy or they're not going to be productive. Um, and you did it, but you were surprised that it went so smoothly. Why do you think that was a surprise to you? Actually, it wasn't a surprise from a you know, personnel and, and work standpoint, because I, frankly, in, in the last couple agencies I worked, I was always sort of on the front edge of telework because I was a strong believer that you, if you trust your people, they will be trustworthy. And um, by telling people what you expect of them, and I, I mean, I don't stand behind 
my employees, whether they're in the office or working from home, I'm not standing behind them saying, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? And uh, um, so I think that part of it from an employee management standpoint, there was this core sort of trust and reliability. I think for me that what was surprising is from a technology standpoint, you know, doing meetings, doing everything on on Zoom, WebEx, these different platforms, that that, that wasn't going to create some you know, challenges that uh, were bigger than than we knew. So it was more of a technological thing you were concerned about. Could we still communicate? Could we still connect from a technological standpoint? Right. I think that the thing that um, really has been, uh, you know, something that we were, we've been very mindful of is how do you maintain culture yeah. um, uh, when everyone is um, teleworking? And that's, uh, that's the thing that I think culture we have something we call intentional culture at precise and and whether you have people in the company working together or or teleworking i think that people organizations often have these these lofty aphorisms you know they, they write this these vision statements and they put it on nice bound paper and and then it gets filed away someplace no one knows what it says and and it's kind of meaningless because it's not Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. part of the culture. Um, but we've tried to be intentional about what does that mean and, and do things to demonstrate that, uh, you know, from a leadership standpoint, what we feel it means and, and try to engage the employee population in, in, uh, in that discussion and vision. Yeah, so you, you said we. So, so I think maybe that's a, a good, maybe a good thing to talk about there is who's the we? You said we, we're, we're concerned about this. When you say we, who are you talking about? Well, the, the quickest answer I'd say is myself and the CEO. And I think going back to that conversation about that informational interview that I had with them is um, I think I walked in there because I've always been a big believer in culture and, and, and being intentional about it. And I think that's where we really connected. And uh, what makes it so nice to work at this company is the, the things that I love doing and passionate about. Uh, he is equally uh, passionate about and, and endorses uh, ideas that I, I've tried to put forward to try to, to, to really build that, that, uh, that um, sense of culture in the company. So Jeff, I'm, can I interrupt, interject here, Mike? So, um, Jeff, you talked about um, being intentional as, in terms of um, maintaining a healthy culture in a remote workforce. I'm wondering if you could go deeper into that and talk more specifically about what does that look like for you? Like how intentionally doing what and how are you how are you doing that? How do you know it's working? What are you looking for? Can you speak more to that? Yeah. So um, there are several things. But one thing that is a, a an initiative that I started when I came to the company is um, we have these monthly, what we call culture framework discussions that I facilitate. And the basic premise um, in these discussions is that we want to engage the employees in a discussion about what culture we want to experience when we come to work. And then we want to talk about where there are gaps between that idealized version that we've talked about wanting to experience and, and the one we're actually experiencing today right now. And then having a discussion about what to do about it and being really 
frank and uh, direct and transparent about it. And um, so that's, it's, that's intentional. It's not just saying we have this culture of openness. We have an open door policy. There's all these sort of almost cliche things that people talk about having an open culture, but we do things like this to demonstrate, to say, how do we make people feel safe talking about if there is an issue, if there is a gap between the idealized culture we've talked about wanting to experience and the one that we're experiencing right now, how do we make people safe uh, expressing what that gap is? And, and because often if you're talking to a leader of an organization, wow, man, I might get in trouble if I call this out. And so we work really hard about how do we make people feel safe, have discussions about what does that look like being safe talking about these issues. So that's one of a number of examples. That when you have these conversations, these are the the modus operandi is that it's not that um, we're going to have these conversations and now it's, it's the leadership's responsibility to go make it happen. No, in fact, every the, the whole premise is that we are all responsible. And every one of these discussions, these culture framework discussions ends with, like if we've identified as part of the discussion some things that we need to work on, some issues, um, then part of what I do in facilitating discussions, so, okay, so what do we do about it? We, you know, what do we, the leadership team, what is every employee, what responsibility do we have to address this issue? So it's not just, you know, a session, a, 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 a venting session for employees to say, this is what we right. want you to do now. It's saying, what do we, what is our problem here and and how do we deal with it? Yeah. So what are some of the things that that um, employees have picked up and, and marched forward with uh, based on their sessions? Well, I think, you know, one thing is that, it, it, you know, a healthy organization and um, uh, a resilient organization is one where uh, people can raise their hand and say, I've got this problem. And, uh, you know, I think that most problems, the resolution is just in the discussion and un unpacking what the problem is. And the, the biggest barrier to solving problems is that they go, they fester in the dark mm. where no one is talking about them. So I think seeing, you know, the most refreshing thing for me and Zensen, the CEO, is, you know, we have we have multiple ways that uh, um, employees can express um, or, or share issues. And one, we have an online suggestion box that is anonymous. And whenever we get something, and sometimes it's some sensitive stuff, we have made a commitment to sharing it with the team, say, this is what has come in. Um, it's maybe not pretty, but this is somebody had this feeling and they, they feel like they're speaking for a, a group of people. And uh, so we want to acknowledge that this came in. And uh, we, uh, in some cases, we make it part of a topic of a future culture framework discussion, or we just talk about, you know, this is what we're going to do about it. Um, or we ask, we, you know, we've in some cases uh, organized forums of uh, employees to sort of say, hey, this is what we've been hearing. Give us some advice about how we should address this. Um, one example of that was uh, during, you know, when we were having all these racial tensions and riots and things, we got some um, frank feedback from some of the, the team uh, that, you know, we weren't doing enough to call this out, to address it. And so we had a couple of discussions, open discussions of the company saying, 
all right, what, what should we be doing? And um, we asked um, uh, some uh, volunteers of the, of the community to um, come up with, you know, sort of a working group and, and bring us some suggestions about, you know, what we can do better. Um, so it, I think it's showing that we're not afraid to uh, listen to and, and address hard, hard issues prevents it from festering in the dark. Yeah, that's great. I, I'm wondering what results you've seen since installing these initiatives with the culture framework discussions. It's, um, I think, well, one of the ways that we sort of measure it, we have another thing we do is we have this thing called a monthly employee check-in that every supervisor every month has to do this um, uh, uh, monthly employee check-in. And there's just five simple questions that they ask. And one of them is, how happy are you with your position within the company, with what's going on in the company? Basically, a happiness score one to five. And as so, and we track these. This is data. You know, we have metrics now over you know a couple of years of of tracking this. And so one of our the data points that tells us that this is working is we've seen. A, a, I mean, we have a, our average score, happiness score. Um, at the company is like a 4.2, which to me, I mean, if someone told me that that's what we would come up with and it didn't start that way, um, I would say you're making it up, but, um, but we have the data, we have the, um, and I, I think that, you know, people feel like they feel at home, they feel safe, they feel like they the company is looking out for them, that they're listened to. I mean, most when you talk about you know relationships, you know, Mike does a lot of work on relationships. Ninety-nine percent of relationships is people feel listened to and heard, even if you don't agree with them or do exactly what they want. If they feel heard, that that's like you've done, gone a long, long way to, to addressing most people's concerns. And I think that's not very common in a lot of organizations. So, so what I'm hearing a lot of is just this things that are promoting openness and open, uh, direct conversations about things that need to be improved or things they'd like to see. Just plain openness. Exactly. And, and, and the intentionality, the, like the, the, the monthly check-ins, like the people, some of the supervisors who were reluctant at first, at the very beginning, were saying, you know, I have, I have one-on-one meetings with them and we have scrums. So why, you know, why do we have to do this special thing? That's my, the difference is this is employee focus. This is how are you doing? What are your accomplishments? What are your challenges? You know, what it's it's about how you are doing. So you can't have that kind of conversation on a regular basis and not have people feel heard and valued. Right. Yeah. So it might be good just to talk about where that like what happens when uh, when you have those kind of conversations. This is something Ken and I have talked about a lot, but I think. Um, what I'd like to, what I'd like to open this with is a conversation I've had with my my daughter. Um, my daughter uh, um, came home from a five month internship recently, where she uh, lived and worked with people twenty four seven on creating and delivering leadership conferences for students. Hmm. And she she lived in a, a residentially and worked residentially with these folks. And when she came home, her, she told us that her single greatest lesson was this that when you love, when love and trust exists on your team, that there is, isn't any fear of failure. Uh, there's no fear around feedback. Instead, in its place 
is the capacity to be more creative and more productive than you ever thought was possible. Exactly. Right. And so, uh, and so if we have this openness there, uh, and it feeds creativity, uh, and it feeds innovation, and it feeds productivity. Um, if if you know if 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 those are the things we think it feeds, what are you seeing in, in, in by way of that at Precise? Well, actually, one of the things that uh, uh, just ties into your story is that um, I don't know if you've ever read the book uh, The Art of Possibility uh, by uh, Benjamin Zander, who, was, who used to be the conductor of the yep. Boston Philharmonic, yep. and his wife, um, Rosalind. I, I saw the movie. I didn't read the book. So, so I, I won't. The the book is I've I love the book, and if you ever read, uh, listen to the audio book, it's fantastic. I've listened to it probably ten times. But there's there's one uh, thing that Xander says. You know, when you make a mistake, and you know, so many people are afraid to make, oh, I'm going to get fired. This gonna, I'm just going to get you know taken to the doghouse. And he has this great response, like how fascinating. And what's fa- what's great about that response is is that. The mistake being saying how fascinating about a mistake is not, it's not like, let's go find out who's to blame for this and beat the hell out of them. Let's be interested and curious about, it's like, why did this happen? What, what were the factors? Because if you're curious about it, then you can develop solutions. And I think one of the things that, that I've seen, you know, uh, uh, Ken, you asked earlier, what are some of the indications of this? I think that um, the innovation, you know, we are big, um, in innovation, we have an innovation team um, that we invest in, and I think that part of that, if if we're fascinated by the problem and curious about it, I think that we're more uh, likely to find solutions. We've demonstrated that we're more likely to find um, innovative solutions to tough problems. Yeah, that's great. I I think curiosity does fuel innovation, but it requires a culture in which it's okay to be pushing the boundaries and making mistakes and learning from them. Otherwise, it shuts down that innovation and you feel a little isolated from your curiosity and you either just stuff it or you want to go somewhere else where that'll be encouraged. Right. Well, that's where you get back to that safety thing. If people feel safe and they feel like, you know, I, you know, as we always say, you know, making a mistake is not a problem. It's like if we've talked about it and you keep making the same mistake, maybe we have to have another kind of conversation. But, but, but really being intentional about figuring out what does it mean to make people feel safe enables them to say how fascinating in response to a problem. Say, hey, look, I, I screwed up. Look at how fascinating. You know, let's figure out what, you know, it really changes the way you look at it. It becomes kind of something to, to explore and, um, and that's not easy to, you know, people's default, I think, in organizations is fear. I screwed up and I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah. And so and so this is the foundation for you know, just precise in general. What have you what have you found that you uh, needed to add to your work process or the culture in in the virtual world? And, and not the world just virtually, but in the world where we're all quarantined because of a, of, of a pandemic. What are you seeing the needs to mm-hmm. add more investment into your employees and the organization now? That's a great question because we've been, I mean, part of the answer to that question is we've been asking ourselves and asking our employees as part of these culture framework discussions saying, how, you know, how does this feel to you? And 
and what's what's missing what are, you know there there are a lot of benefits but they're you know for example uh, employees with uh, who are parents with young children are really having a rough time and um, so part of it is asking ourselves that question actively i think the other thing we've decided i mean some just practical things you know we used to do a um uh, a all hands meeting twice a year sort of our standard process and we realized that that just wasn't enough to to get people connecting even though it's still online but having the whole company because there's so much that happens in the hallways and the break rooms that's lost now you know you just don't you know have those little chit chat things as you're walking down the the hallway I I think also um, getting people to turn on their um, video uh, every once in a while and being intentional about that say hey look look at each other in the eye you know people I didn't do my hair today don't worry about it (laughs) yeah yeah um, little, little things, but, um, and, and acknowledging that different people have different needs. I mean, like the, the parents with the small children, um, there, uh, someone reached out to me at one point, this uh, one guy who's, who's a, a technical guy, he lives alone and he reached out to me, he goes, this is killing me. He goes, I'm a social animal and I'm stuck at home and I'm not interacting with my my colleagues and it's just killing me. What can I do? And I, you know, I was like, I, you know, and it, it was a tough, uh, it wasn't an easy answer to that, but it, yeah, uh, I was glad that he felt comfortable um, bringing it yeah. up. And, and there's some curious things. And Ken and I have talked about this before is, is, you know, it, what, one of the things that I have noticed is that we've all been cut off from people contact and it's what we need so desperately but at the same time, people have seemed very reticent to actually reach out to the people on their team or their bosses and actually connect with them, thinking that they're going to be a bother or they're going to be needy or no one wants to hear from me. Uh, I was coaching a woman uh, a l- little while ago, and um, that's how she felt. Like, if I called my people and talked to them more, then I'm going to be bothering them. And she wound up actually calling uh, one of her people because she was concerned for her. And uh, and they had a, a great, long, kind of personal conversation. And she got off the phone and she thought, I feel better. Mm-hmm. She felt better about her life and her work because she connected with her people. And that's the piece that we're, we're so often missing is we're, I hear people getting very productive in many ways at work. But they're losing focus. Uh, they're losing the the sense of we uh, in in their work because there is not that natural connection. But yet we're reticent to do that. And so, one of the things I've been encouraging leaders to do is to is to spend more time on connecting with people and encouraging their people to connect with each other because people aren't doing that and and it's kind of like being a fr- you know a frog that's being slowly boiled mm-hmm. he doesn't know it right uh but he's getting lots of work done for a while that's 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 a great point um we that's something else we've done too uh we've created like what's called a um, discretionary recognition fund for all the managers in the company that they can use just, you know, it's like little on the spot awards, but also one part of the algorithm for coming up with the budget was to, to encourage managers to do um, virtual lunches. And, and yeah. what we do is like send, you know, Venmo money 
to team members for 20 bucks. And then the understanding is that we're all going to meet at noon, you know, noon to one o'clock or whatever. And with our videos on, and we're not going to talk about work. We're just going to like, if we were to go out to lunch, you know, if we went out to lunch as a team and we're all working at the office, we wouldn't be sitting there going, what, when are you doing that report? You, you'd be joking around, sharing stories. And so the, the premise is that the point of this is to connect with each other and, you know, to cultivate that relationship, right. cultivate the connection. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, listen, it is, we are just about at our time. And so what I'd like to do is to uh, ask our listeners to, to respond to uh, this, you know, our conversation and tell us what, you're doing uh and we'll give you space to respond to us and we'd love to know specific things that you were doing to keep up the connections and the coordination and and the motivation at work in this COVID 19 world where we are all separated uh in space and losing our, our feel for the people side of our work and jeff i would i would i want to ask you to to keep us updated on what you're doing uh, going forward, because I know that you have things uh, that you're thinking about, and I know that your organization is going to have more needs that you're on top of. Well, Ken, do you have any final thoughts for us? Yeah, I just wanted to thank you, Jeff, for putting yourself out there, you know, and uh, showing us what you're doing, kind of giving us a little view of your playbook. And it sounds like a really healthy organization and kind of a model in some ways. I don't think of software companies as the bastion of human relationship and culture. Um, you know, the ones that I know have been really good at solving technical problems. And most of the friends I have in that field are, are um, skilled introverts and really um, would love to have the door, door closed most of the time because they are very productive that way. Yeah. But um, I also know that the best projects that have ever been done have been done by teams. And yeah. a team where you can't be yourself or you can't raise your hand and say something's not working here is not a team that anyone really wants to be on. You are absolutely right. And I, I, I had the same sort of assumption you did, you know, going, I, I was not, uh, uh, had not worked at an IT company before coming here. And uh, the fact that uh, some of these ideas that I brought to uh, the CEO and he was, so enthusiastic about them and that they've, they've worked so well in the company um, is both thrilling, gratifying, and, and to your point, a little surprising. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Well, folks, I want to thank you both for joining us today, and I look forward to talking with some more entrepreneurs about what they are doing, or some more business leads about what they're doing to uh, kind of um, adapt and make their organizations healthier and productive uh, during COVID-19. Sounds Jeff, good. thank you for jo joining with us. Thanks. Ken, I'll see you when I see you. Thanks everyone for listening to WorkWise, the growth mindset for wisdom at work. And if you're listening to this and thinking, gosh, I could really use a creativity workshop and someone to help me with my team to be more creative and productive so we can innovate, why don't you head on over to creativitylabs.us and connect with us. We'd love to help you out.